call reluctance can really hurt SDRs. So when you're, if you are over SDRs for the first 90 days, one of your major goals needs to be making sure that SDRs do not get the habit of being reluctant with the phones. You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Sam Nelson, SDR leader at Outreach. How are you doing, Sam, today? Doing great. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. As I was saying to you in the in the presentation, you're a bit of a celebrity. I think it must be the hair color that I always remember. You know, it's kind of it's kind of coming from the the first time I saw your LinkedIn picture, I was like, oh, is, that, is that a true thing? Or is it something that he's been photoshopping? And I realized it's a true thing, and I like it. It's really brave. I love it. Um, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I did it a long time ago, like, just like as an incentive, and then everyone recognized me for blue hair. Now I'm stuck with blue hair for the rest of my life. It's been several are you, years. Are you joking? What's the incentive? So someone in your team doing something, or are you doing something, and I was kind of a bet that you lost, or won? No, so it was like a... Yeah, so we had this new group of SDRs come in. I said, hey, if you beat the record for most opportunities set in a month, I'll, I'll dye my hair blue. And then they ended up getting it. And so I dyed my hair blue. So today, Sam, we'll be talking about ramping SDRs. You know, it's an interesting topic. And I'd like to know if you think that it's the same. Everybody's like, are we COVID still? Are we post-COVID? Is, does that in fact ramp up? Is it more difficult, et cetera? But before we get into the conversation, for the f- only few people that don't know who you are or don't know who, who Outreach is as a company, would you mind just giving a, a quick intro to yourself and, and the company you represent, Outreach? Yeah, so my name is Sam Nelson, and I've been at Outreach for quite a while. I was in kind of one of the first groups of SDRs really early on. I was SDR for a year. I did well as SDR, as top SDR, as SDR manager, and they managed SDR managers for a while. And now I spend most of my time doing things like this. And I think I've worked with hundreds of different companies on their outbound SDR strategy. So spent a lot of time in the kind of outbound SDR world. Yeah, you know a little bit about the topic, which is wonderful. So Sam, uh, what we're getting from the market at the moment, or what we're hearing from, from customers is that and we see it ourselves as well. It seems like it's harder than ever to find talented SDR. You know, you've got to pay a lot of money. It's probably the, the profession for which the salary are, are increasing at the pace of flight at the moment. And even if you find someone with kind of a good track record and you pay them a lot of money, you're not even sure that they will be successful in your organization. So I think obviously the onboarding is really important. So could you please share with our audience how the onboarding process of an SDR look like at Outreach? Okay, so so the, our onboarding process is actually kind of unique and it's changed with COVID. So I'll, I'll talk about kind of the path that we've taken and, and how we're adjusting it now for COVID. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I was an SDR manager, we actually did something kind of unique where we put all of the new SDRs on one specific team and we called it the Agoji. And we stole the idea from Sparta. So Sparta has like the Agoji where before people become official warriors, like all the new people are in one group. They're trained by people who are specialized in training new Sparta warriors and 
they're all together and then they graduate on to kind of the Agoji military. So we would do something similar on our team. So I was over what we called the Agoji. So all of the new SDRs were on my team. And so everyone was ramped the same way. And we got, we got a few, there were a few interesting benefits to this. Number one was at this time in the world, very few people understood outreach well. And, and I understood outreach well because I was one of the first SDRs to outreach. And so everyone could be trained by someone who kind of knew that firsthand. Also, we could train, I could specialize in new SDR issues. So my whole world was, okay, how do I get SDRs ramped as quickly as possible? Most SDR managers have a few new SDRs, a few kind of SDRs that have been there a while and a few that are about to graduate, and they all have completely different needs. And there's just no way you can give new SDRs enough attention while kind of giving everyone else the kind of attention that they need to. So by having all of the SDR, new SDRs on my team, I could focus on new SDR issues and just handle that all at once. The other managers could handle kind of the more tenured SDR issues. So I could have the biggest team in the company, but it's still just like dealing with new SDR issues, helping them get ramped up. So, and then it forced us to get really good at ramping because I could focus purely on that and create processes around it. And it's stuck that we still, we have three Agoji teams now. We have one in London and a couple in, one in the US, we have, we have three Agoji managers and it's worked really well. So one thing though, is that with the Agoji, it's really nice to kind of have everyone in person. And then I could fill in the gaps as manager when I'm there with COVID, the Agoji leaders have a little bit more of a challenge, right? Because people are remote and you can't fill in the gaps or kind of proactively see things as easily. So it's, it's changed a little bit. But we still have that same structure where the new SDRs report to people who specialize in those first three months. Okay. What's the difference between uh, an Agoji manager and a more tenure reps manager? Are you, are you looking at two different skill sets or is it, is it the same people, but just someone with more like, you know, better with new starters? What's, what's the difference between them? Yeah. So for Agoji managers, Ideally, you want someone that's promoted from within, kind of knows how things work already, and they are top performer. Yeah. So perform in the top 10%, ideally. Yeah. So you want someone who come and respects for the fact that they've done the job and they've done it properly and they know it inside out, but also have the capacity of teaching others, which is tough because sometimes the top performer can be a lone wolf that doesn't care about any other people and themselves. But yeah, that can, that can be the case. But the great thing about top performers is that, especially like in this context, is they've gone through knowing nothing to learning everything relatively recently. So they understand kind of the issues of new SDRs pretty well. It's very recent for them. And so they kind of know what's going to happen, what they're going to be worried about. And we've, we haven't had that big of a problem of like the stereotypical top performer is going to be a lone wolf who doesn't care about people. Typically there are top performers that want to be managers that are, that actually really take to coaching really well. I think there are definitely top performers who can't do that, but I'm not sure that top performers are any less likely than other people to be able to learn to coach. And if they can, they can be insanely good like really good you get a top performer that ends up being a good coach they can make a huge difference yeah that, that's massive we, we we found a few and i think this is great for 
you know, organization like Outreach or even organization like us at Operatics because we've got a critical mass of SDR. We've got a lot of them. I think it's maybe a little bit more tricky when you have like three, four, five, you know, uh, SDR in different region. But one of the things that you mentioned that I love is promotion from within. We've been like so big on that. And literally, apart from our finance team, one manager in our US operation, and that's about it. And recruitment, but, but pretty much recruitment is coming from within as well. The rest yeah. of the management team in marketing, in sales, in every every aspect of the business has come from within. And I yeah. think this it's, it's creates, creates a great culture because people can move on. And you have a lot of people that can be a very good SDR, BDR, but their lifespan is nine months, 10 months because they just, they've been good at it. And it's like, you know what? That's the same hamster wheel. I just, I'm just getting bored now. I want to do something different and I want to get yeah. up the phone, right? So it's, it's fantastic that you can offer that sort of promotion from within. Yeah, I, yeah, promotions from within are awesome. And yeah, I mean, it's not just the SDR side. Like in nine months, they, they do well as SDR. Like we have a pretty good idea that they're likely going to be a successful AE. Like every SDR that's transitioned to AE has been successful. And so the AEs are happy for them to come over as well, the AE managers. So it comes from both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so how long does it take for, for an Agoji to become a, a, a Spartan? What's, what's kind of the, the, <laughs> the, the, the results? So, so first of all, you know, what are the results that you expect and what's the timeline alongside those results? How do you quantify it? And do all Agoji become Spartan at the same time? Or is only a few that make the Spartan team? You know, I'd like to understand kind of the, yeah. the motion that you've got behind that. Yeah, so we set expectations at like a year. Like we expect you to be an SDR for a year, but the needs of the company, you know, whether or not we promote someone has more to do with what we need at the company at the time than like whether an SDR has been there for a year or not. So like there was a time during COVID when there was a lot of uncertainty where top performing SDRs had been there for a year and just like we weren't sure how the SMB market was going to shake out. Right. And so just like things were on hold for a little bit. And so maybe it was a little longer at that time, or maybe we raise a ton of money and we need to have tons of AEs and we're going to lose like, a, you know, like a fourth of our SDR team before a year. So it can vary, but we do set expectations. We say typically it's about a year. So subject to change, depending on the needs of the company. Okay. So it's about a year for, for so, so when you say becoming a Spartan, does that mean becoming an AE or does that mean becoming like a certified outreach SDR? Just so I'm clear on that. Okay, so so on the Agoji team, that's where SDRs go on the first three months. Okay. And so once they graduate from the Agoji, they will go into one of the segments. They might go into enterprise or corporate, right? Or they might go into SMB. Okay. And we'll actually take enterprise from the Agoji. Okay. And some we used to do it where it's like, okay, you're Agoji, then you're SMB, then you go corporate, then you go to enterprise. But the problem is by the time they get to enterprise, they've already been an SDR for like nine months. They want to be an AE. And we need people in enterprise to be there for a longer period of time. Okay. So we'll kind of like foreordain people to enterprise right out of the Agoji. And that's worked really well for us. Okay. Makes perfect sense. So, so how would you structure, uh, so, so if it's three months for that onboarding, do you have a structure 30, 60, 90 days plan? What, what do you expect them to deliver? What, what are those, those, those measures of success? And, and, and 
what do you do if you've got someone who is really struggling as well? You know, because that's that's always important to understand. You've got the guys who are just doing well and they can move on and that's great. But what's the structure? Maybe the first question is, what's the structure of the 30, 60, 90 days? What, what do you expect from them? Okay, so the first, well, the 30, 60, 90 days, we've got, well, okay, one really important part of that is 30, 60, 90 days is like the first week of boot camp. Yeah. And actually, I would say like on your SDR team, there, if you want to make changes, maybe the highest return on investment place is probably going to be in those first 90 days, yeah. first three months. Otherwise, if you don't get that part of the process figured out, SDR managers can spend their entire time fixing messed up golf swings and not having time to even make sure people don't have bad golf swings in the first place. That happens a lot and it can be very ugly. Within those 30, 60, 90 days, if we want to say go 80, 20 on that too, I would say that first couple of weeks is particularly important. So they will come in in that first couple of weeks and we will have a boot camp where we'll give them, we'll do a day on cold calling. We'll do a day on how sequences work and emails and things like that. We kind of give them a lot of information and then, yeah. And then we will let them go. And we take a very careful note of what the questions are. Right. We'll give them a lot of information. Not all of it will stick because they're brand new. We'll take very careful note of kind of issues that they run into or questions that they have and see if we can refine our onboarding in the future based on what those questions are. So we'll do a boot camp week and then we'll have they'll have trainings throughout those first three months. They get them onboarded and ready to go. Okay. And in terms of the the, the actual objective, so it's, that's interesting because you mentioned the outbound calling. So do you have a big proportion? I, I would have expected that Outreach also get a lot of marketing qualified leads, like people raising their hands or eating your website or coming through a chat or whatever it is. But what's the proportion inbound, outbound? Or are you saying that those guys, those SDR, are purely outbound people? Yeah, well, so we have it divided into inbound and outbound. Okay. So actually, I'm not going to be your guy on the inbound side. I haven't worked too much on that side of the house, but we do have like an inbound team specifically focused on inbound leads. So wow. on the outbound side, huh? You are outbound. That's your focus. I, yeah. Since, I mean, since I got to outreach this whole time, I've, I've been outbound focused. And so, okay. I mean, I have some thoughts on inbound, but I'm, I'm more of an, more of my expertise is in outbound. So on the outbound side, yeah, we have SDRs have, they've got a few accounts and they, prospect those they will occasionally get an inbound lead and they'll work that that way but but we do have an inbound team that, that focuses on this okay and for our audience that are not talking about outreach in particular but you know you say you've been helping a lots of lots of people what should be the the quantifiable measure of success that that you think people who are just ramping up a brand new team should expect should it be Number of meetings booked, number of meetings sat, number of meetings turning into an opportunity. You know, obviously all those things are important. Number of calls is important. Number of activities is important. People turning on time in the office and just not logging off too early is important as well. But what are the quantitative stuff and the qualitative stuff that you would recommend for our audience to look for when they're building their plan and trying to put some numbers? Because everybody wants to put numbers. Everything needs to be measurable. So yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll start with, I guess we'd work backward from how, how well are they tracking toward quota or yeah. like, you know, we measure them on sales accepted leads, kind of qualified opportunities held, they get accepted into pipeline. And so 
the first month, typically there's not a huge correlation between at least at outreach between how well people do in their very first month, like the, the month that they arrive and how good they're going to be long-term. There is a much stronger correlation between how they perform in their second month and how they're going to do long-term. So the first month, we don't take it too seriously. The second month, it becomes more important. Now, what causes people to do well or not well when they're starting out ends up being a couple of things. Number one is call reluctance can really hurt SDRs. So when you're, if you are over SDRs for the first 90 days, one of your major goals needs to be making sure that SDRs do not get the habit of being reluctant with the phones. So we'll get them going on the phones right away and not afraid of the phones right away. And um, that's one of those things you have to nip in the bud. Another thing is one trait of top performers tends to be how many questions they ask other people and their manager. <laughs> Just like their willingness to ask questions, even if it makes them look stupid, is correlates pretty tightly with how successfully how successful they are, which was a little bit surprising to me, but has has been pretty consistent. Yeah. But but in terms of the number of so uh, let's say our audience, probably most of the people that would listen to our conversation are B2B software type of organization. Okay. These these are really the people that we we, we we've got in our audience. How many sales accepted lead? How many meetings would you say someone should, they, they should try to incentivize their team to get in months one, two, and three in that ramp up? The ramp up that we've got here at Operatics, what we expect from our new base is probably five meetings set in months one, eight meetings. Uh, and uh, when we say months one is post what you call the bootcamp, it's post like, you know, You've been trained, we did the theory and stuff, is, is you actually when you go live with the clients, okay? So there is a little bit of training before they go live with the clients. Of course, there is probably a two to three weeks period before, before they go live with the clients, but we expect five, five SAL in months one, probably around eight, seven to eight in months two, and, and, and let's say 10 to 12 from month three onward. That's kind of the proactive stuff, so that the, the, the out, out, outbound. Do you have similar type of expectation from your team? Do you expect more? Do you expect less? Do you think it's a stupid way? The, the way we do it is not, is not, is not relevant. Well, what's your opinion on that? No, yeah, no, it's pretty similar. Right? I would say I think that's a good way to do it. The, kind of the numbers for everyone is going to be a little bit different depending on, on how you'll measure that. But yeah, typically it's some kind of proportion like that. And once they get to their fully ramped month, they need to be ramped at that point. If they miss quota, when we have kind of like some quota relief at the very beginning, that can that can be kind of a red flag. Like, hey, is this, or is there something that we're missing here? Is this not a good fit for this person? We got to get to the bottom of, of what's going on if they're missing during those quota relief months. But yeah, typically it's pretty easy to identify early on. It's like um, that there's call reluctance. Another, actually a really common one during the first 90 days is just not reaching out to the right type of people. Yeah. It sounds very basic, but that's maybe like the number one killer of SDRs. And a lot of managers just don't know that's the reason. And so it's important to look at like who they're sequencing, who they're putting their energy into. And if someone's not doing well, there's a very good chance that they're simply putting their energy into the wrong people. Yeah, makes right? sense. If they're doing calls, if they're making efforts and they're just not being successful at all, it often comes down to that. Yeah. How do you measure call reluctance? That's something that I'd like to know. So because obviously I remember being call reluctant. And I think 
I was called reluctant when I first started because yeah. it was pre-COVID and many moons ago when I picked up the phone for the first time. And it's funny because I was actually prospecting in French. We in an office full of English people. So quite frankly, they could not get a word of what I was saying. But I remember feeling so self-conscious of people listening to me and being able to understand what I was saying. Yeah. And I felt more comfortable to go in the boardroom. But you know, when you've got when you're on board 20 SDRs, they can't have a boardroom each to do their call, right? But I imagine I put myself in the shoes, and that's how I grew up. I put myself in the shoes of the UK guy, right? The guy who's sitting next to me has got like 15 people behind him. They all speak the same language. And trust me, the environment was lethal. People were like, the banter was big and people would just bounce from each other, you know, do some sort of, that's what makes the life of an SDR quite exciting. And I think it's quite daunting because people listen to you and you need to have a certain level of confidence. So how do you measure that core reluctance now when people are working from home? Do you use stuff like chorus, gong, or you have, you know, what's the, I understand what you are saying. I, I know that it's a big gap, but how do you actually get to measure it? Yeah. So, well, the, we've tried to solve the problem in a few different ways. Probably what we will do is we just outlaw fully automated sequences, especially at the very beginning. Yeah. Okay. Because it, what will happen at a lot of companies is you can, you can actually like get a few opportunities just from complete automation, especially in that first month or in those first couple of months when you have some quota relief. So you can just totally automate and you're going to get lucky. You're going to get a few meetings just from that. What can happen is SDRs will say, okay, I've fully automated. We've gotten, you know, I've hit my quota doing this. I think I've, I've found the solution to doing SDR work without cold calling. Yeah. And then what they find is when they get to be fully ramped that they really have, they have a really low ceiling on their potential. And so what we've done is we've just, kind of outlawed fully automated sequences for new SDRs and it creates a forcing function for doing calls because if all they can use is a sequence that has calls included, then they have to make calls. They can't avoid it. And so that ended up being our solution that we saw, we saw problems in the past with people trying to rely purely on automation. But I'd say when I go and talk to other companies, typically the problem is SDR is just trying to rely purely on automation. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think we've got, uh, and, and also a lot of people saying, well, the phone is not working anymore. And I'd like to get your opinion on that because I, I've got my opinion, but do you think the phone is not working anymore? The phone? Yeah. People say, um, well, the medium phone is not, that's why I need to do emails, 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 emails. And yes. I, I think it's called reluctance personally, but what's your opinion? I mean, it's, you know, it hasn't really, what, because of, like, because of COVID or just because the times well, have changed? We had it prior, prior to COVID. I, I think, you know, I, I think it's a mix of things, but people think that they don't get a lot of response from call. And, yeah. and, I, and I, I agree with one of the things that you said. You said, well, if you bark at the wrong tree, people won't respond to you, right? You're knocking at the wrong door. People know who you are. They look at your company. You just introduce yourself five times through a voice note that you send them on LinkedIn. They got your 10 emails. Yeah. If they haven't responded to you by now, they probably don't want to engage with your company. Don't take it personally, move on to the next one. But I think we, we've had a little bit more reluctance. And I hate to use the term millennial because I think it's just overused and stuff like that. But, you know, even right now with my team, people send me texts to ask me like very complex questions that I, I would so necessitate in a conversation. Call me. You want something? Call me. You know, I'm, I'm only, a, I've got a mobile phone. You've all, you know, everybody can see it. Give me a buzz. 
I don't, but I get WhatsApp and sometimes people send me a Skype and then they send me a WhatsApp and then send me an email, exactly the same content, but they want a response. They could call me. <laughs> so I think, I guess what I'm saying and my opinion on it is that people are more comfortable in sending message. And even sometimes with friends, it's easier to send a message, say, hey, how are you? Versus speaking of the phone, say, hey, it's been a while, we've not spoken. How are you doing? Let's talk, you know? But I'd like to get your opinion. Do you think the, the phone as a medium is becoming less successful? Is it the same? Do you think it's a, we need to use it in a different way? What's your opinion of the phone as a medium to get proactive leads, uh, outreach leads from, from new prospect? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I wondered how COVID would affect this, right? Because so much changed there. I wondered, like, are phone calls still going to yeah. work? Are they going to work better or not? And I've been surprised at kind of how consistent it stayed. It stayed consistently successful. And I think part of the reason for that is, like, if we were getting meetings over the phone, it was probably usually when it was with somebody's cell phone. You know, like we have a lot of numbers and it was, if we were going to get meetings with someone's cell phone anyway. And so we still had that data. And so things tended to keep working the way that they were. I do think that a lot of SDRs would like to believe that the cell, the phone does not work anymore because it's not necessarily people's favorite part of the job, Yeah, um, but it tends to. And there's also sometimes a misunderstanding in like, what success looks like in getting through to people. Because if you say, oh, 90% of the time, I'm not getting through to anyone at all, that's actually a very successful. I mean, if you can get a pickup 10% of the time, oh, yeah. that can actually be a huge return on investment, even though most of the time you're not getting through to anyone at all. So understanding that just like a few connects a day can make a massive difference yeah. uh, is really important. I agree with you. I mean, you know, my opinion on that is really, first of all, coming back to me when I was a young SDR coming in and being a little bit ashamed of myself because it's my first few calls. And you know, back then, I did not have a sequence. Sequence. Nobody gave me a sequence. Well, in 2004, I literally had a LinkedIn was starting. So I think I even had yellow pages on the, on the desk and a phone and an Excel spreadsheet. That was about it. We use Sybil as a CRM and we actually put, we had to put a CD-ROM in the tower of the computer to, to get it going on the computer to give you an idea. So the cloud was not even there. But um, I think COVID has helped us in a way because with people working from home and particularly for new starters, we've seen new starters becoming much more productive. And I think it's because they don't have that anxiety of being listened to by their colleague when they're doing a call. And also, you know, one of the strongest power of, of doing the call is that you can be whoever you want to be behind that call. You know, you can change, you know, you don't need to be the person you are with your friends. You, you can change the intonation of your voice. There's, you know, and I was listening to some of the stuff that you, you've done with the Sales Impact Academy. And you speak about that. You can be whoever you want. You can put the mask you want. And I think this is the thing that people may not be comfortable doing in an office full of SDRs, you know, in a bullpen but they may be happy, happy to do it when they're at home in the comfort of their own house because nobody's listening to them, right? So you don't have that, oh, are you looking at me? Are you looking at what I'm doing? So, so I think that that helped us. And, yeah. and I think that helps people to be a bit more creative with the way they are going and you know, kind of create that mask identity, you know, whatever it is that, that works for them. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Though, um, you know what? Sometimes it just works. And actually, one, one thing on that is that one cool thing about outreach is when you put somebody into sequence, if they respond and they have their cell phone number in the footer, 
it will put into outreach for you. And it is important to call when that happens because often that's data that databases don't have and the conversion rate on those is super high. Absolutely. And reminded me of that. Yeah, well, you've got you've got also the good old techniques, which is uh, sending emails during Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, sending a few emails, like you put more emails, you get all the out of office auto reply with the other people and the mobile numbers and everything. But that's that's a chicken. Yeah, um, yeah for, we sell the sales leaders like the secret is during Dreamforce. Yeah, back in the day when everyone was at Dreamforce and out of the office. Absolutely. When you I, know, I, you know a friend who did that. Yeah, it's a friend of mine as well. that told me that never would, never would do that sort of stuff. But look, Sam, we're getting to the end of, of the session today. It was, was a pleasure having you, a great conversation. I want to thank you so much for your insight today. It was great to have you with us. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, I mean, yeah, if they can't find you, I would find that very, very, very surprising. But what's the best way to, to, to reach out to you? Is it LinkedIn, emails? How do you want people to reach out to you to, to either discuss with you or, or to discuss about outreach and how could they use outreach to, to better that business. Yeah, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, Sam Nelson at LinkedIn. My samnelsoncontent.com website is where I post a lot of my post a lot of my content. And yeah, then if anyone's interested in in outreach or curious about kind of how they could use it or heard it, feel free to reach out to me. I'm more than happy to talk about it. So good. Well many thanks once again, Sam. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Great. Thank you so much. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.